I'm going to explore for a few moments the relationship between the cross and the Holy Spirit. It's not something we think about. And there, frankly, is not a great deal that is explicitly written on this in the Scriptures. I think it's implicit in so much of the Bible's story in the events that surround the life and the death of Jesus and indeed his resurrection. But there's one verse in particular that gives us the permission to think about the cross in relation to the Holy Spirit, and that is Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Just cutting right into the flow, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now here in this reference which is talking about the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse from sin and comparing that with the rather ineffectual and temporary provisions of the Old Testament sacrificial system showing that in Christ he is the fulfillment of all these Old Testament scriptures and that Christ is the full and final, once for all, perfect offering for sin. And yet this was something that Jesus himself participated in. He offered himself. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down freely and voluntarily. Jesus' offering on the cross of himself was for the Father, by the Father's love, and unto the Father, and the ultimate expression of his love for the Father. Just before he went to the cross, he says, now you're going to see how much I love the Father. So we should never think of the cross as something independent to the Father. The cross is the Father's provision. The cross is the Son's surrender to the Father, and the cross is also the, through the operation of the Holy Spirit. Because this verse tells us that Jesus offered himself without spot to God through the eternal Spirit. And there is a depth of wisdom and understanding there. It's not, without, it's not a coincidence that here the writer emphasizes the Spirit as eternal. We know that God the Father is fully God. God the Son is fully God. God the Holy Spirit is fully God. There is only one God, only one being who is God. But that being is eternally existing in three persons. And the Spirit is as much God as the Father is God. And the Son is as much God as the Spirit is God. So we are already now into something which is deep and profound. But it says that Jesus offered himself through the eternal Spirit, showing that there is no competition in the Godhead 
there is no conflict here at all, that this is God's plan. And it also means that when Jesus offered himself on the cross, his sacrifice has eternal consequences. In other words, this guarantees for us eternal security in the presence of God. But then there is another dimension to this, and it's what I want to concentrate on today, is that Jesus offered and did all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to bring this home to our own lives by reminding us the central call of our lives is to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It says in Luke 14, verse 27, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus calls you and I to take up our cross and follow him. And if we don't do that, we cannot be his disciples. This is our choice, and there's a reason why we would choose this, is because we know that when we turn our hearts to follow Christ, then we benefit in all the riches of the knowledge and the treasure of Jesus. The only way to have him fully in our lives is to surrender fully to him. But we know that this isn't easy. Now, when we talk about carrying our own cross, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to physically die for Jesus. I mean, this is happening all over the world. Every year, 100,000 people die for Christ. Of all the persecution that's taking place in the world today, 80% of it is persecution against Christians. So for many of our friends and uh, member, fellow members of the body of Christ in different parts of the world following Christ will literally mean severe persecution even to the point of death. And that hasn't happened to us yet here in this country quite in the same way, so maybe we shouldn't be so keen to talk about being in the time of persecution. And I'm not even saying that will come. It may, it may yet come. But whether we are ever called to give our lives for Christ literally and pray God for the grace to do that should that ever be our portion. But nevertheless, we are all called to die daily with him. Carrying your cross doesn't mean that you have some infirmity or some problem in your life or a particularly troublesome mother-in-law or, or boss. Uh, carrying the cross means that you are saying no to your own natural wishes and desires. And you are saying yes to God's plan for your life. But it is a death. Going to any form of cross is not a pleasant experience. There is no feel-good factor in this, at least not in the short term. We're so glad that we do follow Christ and die daily with him because we are guaranteed one thing. When we go and carry our own cross, we're guaranteed one thing, and that is after the cross comes resurrection. And we're so glad that we made those choices. We're so glad that we said no to sin. We're so glad that we said no to our comforts and chose rather to be afflicted or, or, or to be rejected or, or to go through unpleasant experiences and certainly uh, not to seek instant gratification, which can be 
as painful as anything else. We're so glad that we do all of that because after the cross comes the glorious resurrection life, which is full of joy and freedom and liberty. So there is a reward in this. However, at the time, it doesn't feel good. So why would we ever do it? You could say we could work out systematically in the logic of our understanding and we could say, I will put up with this pain now because something good is going to happen to me. And that's true. But I have found in my own experience that logic doesn't work. When you are on a strict diet and somebody gives you the most beautiful, delicious chocolate Easter egg, you will find some rationalization process going in your mind. And you will find it easier to say yes than to say no, even though logically you have some good reasons. You can still rationalize away, and we do this so often. When it comes to even the more serious things about being faced with a choice of saying no to some uh, cry of the flesh that is crying out for gratification in a way that is so powerful and overwhelming, and we know logically that there are some good reasons why we should not do it, but we can rationalize them away. Oh, Jesus will understand just this once. I was gazing upon a chocolate egg this morning. Just a little. Oh, you go and enjoy your Easter. You enjoy chocolate. Let's move away from that. Let not my issues become your issues today. What I'm saying to you is that we need something more than our own strength of will. We need something more than the own logic of our position in which we know that it is better for us to obey God. We need more even than the kind of fear which sometimes is healthy that we uh, respect God and His holiness too much ever to turn away from it. But without the Holy Spirit, I have found that those things are not enough. Not enough for me. I need some help. Carrying the cross sometimes seems not just unpalatable, but at times impossible. We want to shrink from it and let the issue drop until the next time we come under some kind of pressure to do what we know we should be doing. But the wonderful thing about this relationship between Jesus and carrying of his cross and us is that the same Holy Spirit who enabled Jesus and blessed Jesus and strengthened Jesus is the same Holy Spirit who will bless us and help us to choose the right thing and to flow with God, and to obey the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, it's very simple. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Some of the more modern versions say, keep in step with the Spirit, and then you will be able to turn away from sin. It really is that simple. So thank God for the Holy Spirit today. Thank God for the motivating power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for his enabling, strengthening power. And the Holy Spirit can work in our minds and help us, particularly when we surrender to him, to think straight, to think right, and to do so with power and conviction. I'm not suggesting that all we do is to surrender to the Holy Spirit and it's all going to work out. We have to choose to follow him and choose to obey him. And the, the blessing is the Holy Spirit will 
help you. I believe in some real sense the whole of Jesus' life was an offering to God. Everything he did, he did with father-facing obedience. Everything he said was directed by the Father. And you can say that Jesus was reliant on the Holy Spirit as a good model for us from conception onwards, if you can even think of it. But he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, Christ would not have been able to come into this world. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Everything he did was by the Holy Spirit. His, his birth and even his choice of coming into this world. Hebrews 10 verse 5 says, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus recognized that God had prepared a body for him to live in and a place to be in this world. And all of this was in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Even in his life, especially his public ministerial life in Luke 3 verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him and a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Jesus was learning to live by the Holy Spirit as that model human being. And then, of course, as we have read in his death, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works in order to serve the living God? We can put it this way in good old Pentecostal language. Jesus was anointed to carry his cross. And you are anointed to carry your cross. We think of the anointing in so many different ways. And we Pentecostals, Charismatics, love the anointing and the terminology of the anointing. That was an anointed singing today. That was an anointed sermon today. I feel so anointed today. What do we mean by that? Surely, it means that God is blessing it, but also it means that God is in it. It means that God is in it, that God is working, that God is enabling. The Holy Spirit, above all things, is our great companion enabler. He will help you at any particular point, a particular time. When you need something, ask God for his Holy Spirit's enabling at any time. You, you, when you think that you've nothing more to give, the Holy Spirit is there for you. Even when you think you've got something to give, don't try it without the Holy Spirit because even what you have is nothing by comparison to what he will make it if it's yielded to him, to his anointing and to his wonderful presence. Jesus was anointed to carry his cross. He was anointed to die. We see this kind of um, acted out in this acted parable in which Mary knew something that the, even the apostles did not know. They rebuked her, they criticized her, but she poured out that anointing oil upon Jesus' body. And they were, some of them were enraged. This is such a waste. This money, this oil could have been sold 
and the money given to the poor, why waste it on Jesus? And no, Jesus says, she got it right. She has anointed me in advance for my burial. She perceived something out of her love and devotion and spirit of sacrifice. She gave everything that she had. This was highly costly. Probably it was her pension. In those days, they didn't have pensions like we have. And so people would save up in lots of different ways. And this woman, whenever she got a little bit extra, when there was just a little bit more money than there was month, which is very rare, God bless us, as, as God uh, gives us a pound-stretching anointing. <laughs> when there was just some economies that she was able to make, she would buy some oil and pour it into this jar and would save it up and save it up and save it up and save it up. One day, I'm going to need this. This is my future. This is my security. But when she saw Jesus, she says, I found a different future. I found a different security. And she wanted to pour it all out upon him as an expression of lavish love. But beyond that, there was a spiritual perception that she was able to enter that nobody else was able to see. I believe that sometimes our acts of devotion cause us to sp perceive spiritually above and beyond what anything else will enable us to do. And she poured it out over Jesus. She's, and he said, she has anointed me for my burial. And it wasn't just that this was a prophetic demonstration of what was going to happen to him. It was also a prophetic enact enactment of how it was going to be carried about. It was going to happen through the power and blessing and presence of the Holy Spirit. The great purpose of Messiah was to live and die on the cross. Live his life unto God and die on the cross. So Jesus, in this anointing, was the anointed to show everyone who he really was. And this was the great revelation of the day. Very few people in their prophetic analysis at that time could understand that Messiah had to suffer and die. That was the big issue of the day. They had no understanding that the suffering Son of Man was also the glorious Son of Man. They considered Messiah to be the great victor. How could he die on the cross? They, they considered Messiah to come with the glory of heaven. How could he have the shame of the cross? They considered he would be crowned with a crown of royalty rather than a crown of thorns. How could it be? They didn't understand. They didn't understand Isaiah 53 where it was all about Messiah, the servant of the Lord, being willing to make his soul an offering for sin. They were looking for the glory and the crown without the cross and the shame. And that's why I, find it, I think they find it very difficult. Even today we find it difficult. We, we want to enter into the good stuff without ever, as it were, paying the price. We, we want the glory without the agony. There can be no glory without Golgotha or Gethsemane. The two G's lead to the third G, the glory of God. Gethsemane, Golgotha, and the glory of God. 
We want the quick fix, we want the easy way out, but there is still something in the power of the cross that can cut into our flesh and cut away the stuff that prevents us from entering into the glory of God and indeed qualifies for that very thing. The demonstration of Jesus' anointing on the cross shows everyone who he is. It also was an equipping of him for the mission he'd come to fulfill. The Holy Spirit led Jesus every step of the way, even in his temptation. I wonder who was chasing whom. I wonder who was, was, was attacking whom. So often we think of Jesus' temptation as this was the devil's time. The devil came to attack Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus went out to destroy the devil. That's what was happening in the wilderness. And we know this because in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. Can we have such confidence and trust in God and in his leading that we know that at times for his purpose he may lead us into a wilderness experience? No, no, we don't want that. We are river people. We want to be riving, living in the river or living in the river or, and, and out of our livers throwing rivers of living water. That's what we want. We want rivers in the livers. We want everything that is good, and, and, and that is right, but there are times when God can only work the depth of the power that he wants to work in us when we go through tough times. Hallelujah. It's wonderful to know that we can trust God that whatever our circumstances, God has not allowed us to be in a situation, number one, that is too much for us, and number two, that cannot glorify him. Everything that works is for that purpose. I, I know from my own experiences, and, and I'm not going through any particular painful experience at the moment, so I'm not working out my angst on the, on the congregation today, but reflecting back over my time and, and, and many experiences in my life, and God only knows what lies ahead, but looking back, the times where I have felt closest to Jesus, and he's been most precious to me when I've clung on him for life and for death or whatever, it has always been in those difficult times that he has proved most precious and most fragrant. So, he was constrained to go into the wilderness. He was constrained to go to Jerusalem to face the cross. Luke 9, verse 51. Now it, it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. How did Jesus do that? Is this just something in the strength of his own will? Well, I would buy that. I know Jesus was totally dedicated to the Father's will. I know Jesus didn't initiate anything. He was surrendering to the Father's will. But that implies to me that he was also surrendering to the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit. Which was easier for Jesus to say... Blind eyes open. Or to say, I am going to the cross. Which was easier? Let's not say one was harder than the other. 
Let's acknowledge that both were the expression of Jesus surrendered to the Father's will. Now, we readily accept that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and he, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. So if he was anointed to destroy the works of the devil and healing and miraculous, how much more was he dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to face devil at the cross and destroy him completely? Oh yes, when he set himself steadfastly to go towards Jerusalem, he knew what was happening. He said, I am going in that direction because there is a plan and a purpose to fulfill. I am totally convinced and I hope you with me also, that he did so in total dependence on the Holy Spirit. We know that he was helped in the garden. In Gethsemane, when Jesus was sweating great drops of blood and he wanted his disciples to pray for him and pray with him, and they fell asleep. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Surely this was a sign that Jesus was dependent on the Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord. Help me, Father, in this time. Will you pray for me? One of the interesting things is that um, R.T. Kendall, who is just blowing our minds away with his, his grace, his simplicity of delivery, and yet the profound nature of his thought and thinking, and R.T. asks for nothing more frequently than for prayer. Oh, Colin, I'm speaking on Wednesday. Pray for me. You're preaching this morning. I'll pray for you. Because he knows and we know that without prayer we can't do anything. Please pray for us. Please continue to pray for us. And when we pray, what we are saying above everything else is, I can't do it. And even what I can do is useless without the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, we are expressing our dependence on God and there Jesus was dependent on the Father. He knew he was facing the, the battle of his life, not just in the suffering on the cross, but in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was agonizing, wrestling with the will of God. But he surrendered and said, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father in heaven. And if there is at least strong hints in the scripture that Jesus did that by the Holy Spirit. How much more today can we say, without the Holy Spirit, Lord, I, I can't. Help me. Help me. And so we can confidently say it was the Spirit that took him up to the cross. And then Jesus had to suffer alone. We know the Bible says that he could have commanded angels from heaven to deliver him, but he didn't. And I think there might have been just one thing that was sustaining him at that time. The knowledge that he was pleasing the Father. When everything in him was saying something else, I'm not going to go down this route today, but we've had people talk to us. I've got messages on it, on the physical sufferings of the cross. And one of the things was is that most likely the nails went between these two bones in, in the wrist, in the radius and the ulna. And right there, there is a, a nerve that when he was hanging on would have sent 
like painful electric shocks right throughout his whole body. He, he, every nerve was screaming agony. And at that time, all he could cling on to was Father. Father, forgive them. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. But there came a moment which was the cry from the cross when the unthinkable happened. When at that moment, the Father, in Jesus' own words, forsook him. And if the Father forsook him, then also the spirit of fellowship was not with him. Now, I'm going to drown in deep waters here because this is extremely deep, difficult to understand. But let me just get something for you here. There's only one God, only one God, only one being who is called God, but that one being exists in three persons. Not three gods, not three beings, but one being, God, in three persons. You are a being and you are a person, okay? Everyone here is a being, and everyone here is a person. Because we're limited in our humanity, we have one being and one person. Now, you might think people are split personalities, but we're still one being, because we're limited to humanity, okay? Human rules are only one person, only one being, okay? But God is not limited. The Bible shows us that he is one being, but three persons. Now the fellowship that exists between father and son that always existed, never a separation, was split. Psalm 22 prophesies this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I don't think Jesus was just reading out some lines. I know the script here. What comes next? Oh, yes, thank you. It's that Psalm 22 thing. Okay, let's get it done with. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think this came definitely in fulfillment of Scripture, but it was birthed in the agony of his own spirit. And I think even though he would have known that this was going to happen, he could never have anticipated what it felt like to be rejected by the Father to be separated from the Father. And in that moment, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a real cry from his heart. For in that moment, he suffered and died alone. He didn't cease to be God. He continued to be the the one being God and And his essence of godness stayed with him. But as son, he was separated from the Father and by implication also from the Holy Spirit. And that had to be. Because that is the death he died. 
When we think of the word death, the Bible makes it clear that the key concept at the heart of understanding of death is separation. Physical death is separation of the spirit from the body. Spiritual death is separation from God. Eternal death is eternal separation from God. How did Jesus die? He died at all these three levels. He died physically. His spirit was separated from his body. Into your hands I commend my spirit. He dismissed his spirit. He dismissed his spirit. So close was he. Uh, closely involved was he to this. He, so he died physically. He also died spiritually. On the cross. Now I'm not looking at the extravagant theories which say that Jesus was reduced to the serpent nature, had to go down to hell, suffer the consequences, and then be born again spiritually. All of that is in the realm of heterodox teaching. It is not biblical. But sometimes those of us who recognize that that teaching isn't biblical throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, we must not, we must understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he died spiritually. Because he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus suffered the spiritual consequences of our sin, not just the physical consequences. But there is more. Not only did Jesus die physically and spiritually, but in a very real and literal way, he suffered eternal separation from God. He said, well, how can it be? Because if it's eternal, it must still happen. No, no, don't forget, he offered himself through the eternal spirit and who he was as God manifested in the flesh, that was the only possible combination that could save our souls from eternal separation from God. The Bible says he tasted death at every single level, physically, spiritually and eternally. Did he cease to be God? No. No. Did he cease to be Messiah? No. In fact, he fulfilled his messianic calling by dying on the cross. Just as his anointing in the baptism of John didn't make him Messiah, it showed the world that he was Messiah. Therefore, his death on the cross didn't make him any less Messiah, it fulfilled and demonstrated that he was Messiah. So we can summarize all of that by this very simple but profound statement. Jesus experienced the full effects of the wrath of God against sin. He experienced the full penalty of sin and all its consequences. That's why he was able to say, it is finished, accomplished, a perfect salvation that could only happen at the cross in such a way as the God-man, Christ Jesus, fully God and fully man, became the substitute sacrifice. No other way. That's why no other religion can save you. In fact, no religion can save you. Religion didn't die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. Yeah. 
he experienced the full effects of the wrath of God. So we can put it this way. He experienced the full extent of hell. Well, praise God, it didn't end there. When it says Jesus offered himself to the Father through the eternal spirit, it's also referenced to Jesus' confidence that he wouldn't end on the cross. That wouldn't be the end. If the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead, dwell in you. He shall bring to life your mortal bodies. That's a promise that the same Spirit who lives in us is the same Spirit who lived in Christ and was upon Christ, and that same Spirit that raised Him from the third day will resurrect us at that last day. So when Jesus said, I surrender to you, Father, and through the eternal Spirit, I give my life as an offering, He did it in certainty and faith and confidence that the Father would not let Him see corruption, but on the last day, He would quicken that body and Jesus would be raised again from the dead. Amen and amen. Maybe, and here is entire preacher's license, speculative dramatization, okay? But I wonder if just before that moment, when he was separated from the Father and from the, the Spirit on the cross, I just wonder if the Holy Spirit whispered to him, I'll be back. I wonder if the father just before that said to him, son, I will receive you. I don't know that that happened. But I do know this, Jesus died in that confidence because he was able to say, no one takes my life from me. I will lay it down and I will take it up again. So when he said that, what was he saying? Was he saying suddenly... This one thing I'm going to do by myself for myself. I'll tell you, I'm going to make sure that if the Father doesn't do it and the Son doesn't do it, I am jolly well going to do it. Because I don't trust that the Father will do it. I don't trust that the Spirit will do it. That's unthinkable. When he said, I gave my life through the Spirit, he says, I will take it up again by the same Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus said that in total confidence that the Father would raise him. The Bible says that God, the Father, raised Jesus. The Bible says the Spirit raised Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus raised himself. There is no mystery here. Everything Jesus ever did was in cooperation. One being God, three persons in perfect harmony, working out the eternal plan of salvation, each with successive roles and emphasis. The Father sent the Son. The Son came. Jesus offered his life. The Father received that offering and the Spirit enabled it all and sets his seal upon it all. I'll be back. I will receive you. Well, I kind of thought the Holy Spirit's a bit like Arnie's. No, no, okay, I don't remember about that one. And now, what about you? You know there's a big difference. You and I will never be alone. He's tasted death for every single one of us. In death, when the spirit leaves the body, 
will not be alone. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And now we are not spiritually dead. We are quickened. We're made alive with the Holy Spirit. And that life can never die. It's eternal life. Never separated. Nothing can separate us. Not life, nor death, nothing. No angel, nor prison, no power. Not even you can separate you from him. Because he's promised to never leave you, never forsake you. You will never be alone. You will always carry your cross with the Spirit. You will always crucify the flesh with the Spirit. You will die with the Holy Spirit. You will be raised in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will never forsake you. The Father will never turn his back upon you. Jesus has tasted death for us. And so as the Holy Spirit enables you and I to carry our cross, he also enables us to endure sorrow and suffering and enables us to rise victorious out of trials and against all the forces of, forces of the enemy. You and I are anointed to carry the cross, to turn from sin, to die to the world, to be raised and walking in new life. You are also anointed in the cross experience. Remember, Jesus was led having uh, been baptized by the Spirit into the wilderness. He came back in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the real working operation of God's power can only be manifested during times of testing and trial. That kind of cross experience actually works God's power in your life. You have to learn to carry the anointing during the times of pain. But it's difficult because sometimes people say, Oh, I feel so anointed, I'm happy. You're not anointed, you're just happy. And sometimes when you don't feel anointed, you realize it's not about anointing. It's about obeying, obeying him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as in the production of oil, whether it's cooking oil, salad oil, or the holy anointing oil of the Old Testament, all of the ingredients that produce the fragrance, that produced the substance of oil, all of that came through crushing, grinding, sifting, purifying. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have we got any olives in here today? The crushing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit will lead you to the path of, through the path of the cross so that you can empty yourself and receive more of him. Anointing is not an escape from reality. Some spiritual marijuana that puts you on another plane. So you are less aware of your surroundings. Neither is victory the absence of suffering and conflict, but it's the positive outcome after that conflict. It's the result of being anointed during the battle. Without the cross of Jesus, there would be no anointing for us. 
because he went the path of the cross, resurrection, exaltation, in order to receive the gift of the Spirit. Old Pentecostal hymn, the Spirit answers to the blood. When the blood's applied to your life, the Spirit is always right there. The giving of the Spirit depended on Jesus going back to the Father. And the way of the cross was his way to the throne. And from that throne, he received the promise of the Father. He was made a curse for us that we might receive the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham above all things is that we, through the Spirit, through the cross, should receive God's Spirit in our lives. So this Easter Friday, this Good Friday, we can identify with Jesus in so many different ways. But there is a place, a point which we cannot go further and we're not asked to go further. And that is to be God-forsaken. To be separated from the Father. Never. But everything else is an example for us. How we, through His rejection, may be accepted forever. That we, through His, His suffering for sin, may be declared righteous. By His carrying our sicknesses and sorrows upon the cross can live in joy and in life. But the way to that is to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit to lead us closer and closer into the good things of God. Father, we thank you for the cross. The cross measures the infinite love of God. The cross describes the price that needed to be paid, the price that has been paid. And we thank you that beyond the cross lies the resurrection, the Father's acceptance of that sweet sacrifice. Lord Jesus, thank you for suffering and dying. we might be saved and have eternal fellowship with the Father. We worship you for who you are and we're filled with gratitude. In Jesus' name.